Lawrence, it is Friday, and the gauntlet has been thrown. Gauntlets are being tossed at your faces, the listeners of Game of Owns. Well, that was the most formal introduction we've ever made. We challenge you to listen to this Friday episode. <laughs> we challenge you not to press pause. And yes, listen to it the whole way through without pausing. Can you do well, that? I can't promise that, guys, because sometimes when I listen on the train and the conductor mm-hmm. comes on on the overhead, I have to pause it because he's just really loud and obnoxious, and I and I don't want to not be able to hear um, my dulcet tones. I mean, you guys. Yeah. Sounds to me like the conductor <laughs> is owning your, your morning commute there. I mean, what is he talking about? Are they matters of life and death? What does the conductor say? Yeah, he usually announces the stops. Yeah, well, no, not as much of that. He just uh, will announce the uh, the stops and how many cars platform at each station and to watch the gap between the platform and the train because some people don't know that. They fall down and things happen that are terrible Pain. because they don't yeah. know that there's a gap. Terrible things, but great um, um, no, not the, great at all. <laughs> no, no, not great at all. But but here, here's here's the real uh, the, my real question: um, Is it uh, like a pre-recorded thing to like no, mind, it's like, an actual mind the gap, like in London? You know how they have those automated mind the gap, or in uh, the both. Dallas airport, it's everywhere. Yeah, it's actually both because when the conductor comes on live, he'll say it, and then there's also an automated robot who does it too. His name is Bill. A robot? Like there's a guy who, like on the platform, there's like an auto- automaton? Yeah, that's what it is. He has to keep him oiled, WD-40. <laughs> Oil can. Oil can. Can I tell you guys about a retort slash response slash direction slash warning that is not pre-recorded and is not automated? Yes. May I? This sounds Sir great. Courtney Penrose. That's all I'm going to say. Sir Courtney Penrose. Courtney spelled in an interesting way here in this Davos chapter. Our second. It's the male form. Yeah. Our second Davos chapter so far, being so far into A Clash of Kings. I'm going to say so far three more times. Get out of the way. So far, so far, so far. Courtney Penrose is not in a bad position at the beginning of this chapter, although his bravery slash smack talking, if you will, could put him in such a situation. Yeah. And this is really... The fallout from what we learn in the Catalan chapter, because this whole situation is talked about very, very briefly, and now here we are actually experiencing it. Though, I want to know about George, because we talked about how this is really the only perspective we get from somebody who is a common person, who's from Flea Bottom uh, in Davos, Mm -hmm. and yet... He he only has two chapters so far. I mean, what's up with that? I mean, is is this a well, bit it's, of discrimination it's, it's, going on? You know, no. the book the book is called, to be fair, a clash of kings, not a clash of peasants. Uh, yeah. there were a bunch of you know peasants Are you running around, Davos, a peasant clash of vegetables, trying to cut each other's heads off. I'm sure that this book would feature plenty of them. And uh, from what I heard of the future, although I have not read. Uh, this series, you, you, we apparently will get point of view characters that are less than, uh, what's the word? Anointed, uh, in the future. So, I, you know, I think by the bucketful, I think is the, is the term that a, a friend once described to me. So by the Halloween bucketful, by, by the Halloween candy bucketful right. of timely, of lowborn, uh, POVs in the future. But, but I, I do echo the, the what sentiment. What you're saying though. is that. <laughs> If I were to read A Clash of Vegetable Soldiers, then Davos <laughs> yeah. would have more We yeah. need a clash of this. toy 
of toy soldiers. Like, this is okay. perfect. A Army children's men's... series, except they're vegetables. Like someone gets to be a carrot. Ned gets to be the noble rutabaga. Or would you like to turn up with tomatoes? Would uh, peach? What the hell are you talking crack? about? I know what you're doing. I know. You know it. You know it. I, now of I'm just I thinking of it. bananas and pajamas <laughs> are coming down the stairs. How many fruit references can we make here? Um, and then they chase teddy bears. Speaking of fruit, there was a peach in question in this chapter. Uh, of course, Stannis um, still being haunted by the death of his brother and, and, and of their last encounter. And, and Stannis, um, I believe he says it before the room is cleared with just Davos in it. But once Davos and Stannis are both there, he says, I know now that I loved my brother. And let's not get this twisted. This moment in the chapter... After reading the beginning and after reading the brashness that Stannis put toward the people that had renounced Renly very, very recently and weren't kind of used to his, I don't want to say attitude, but I think all of Stannis's attitudes in this chapter were very founded. Seeing this kind of conversation pop out of that same man, you know, let's say minutes afterward, <laughs> um, right. he got really soft. And I think that it was very humanizing for Stannis and it was great to hear about how he thinks about Renly after all this has happened. And there's this um, sort of hidden aspect to this to this whole entire chapter, which I guess comes to a head uh, or comes to a certain orifice at, at the at the end of the show. <laughs> oh, I can't even. How do I? Comes even to a cavern. It comes to the world. It comes into the world at the. It comes to light. Let's say that it's uh, born into the world. It's it. It actually pulls itself out um, it into does. the world, but. Uh, but but anyway, I mean, there's this duality to Stannis now. It's 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 very interesting because he hasn't been sleeping well. Uh, Davos is of course concerned, as any uh, you know partner in a bromance should be. Um, essentially, Melisandre is tending to Stannis um, quite often, and 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 even in evenings now, you know, she works nights. Uh, for him, apparently he's having these nightmares. And this is something that Davos finds out in the beginning of the chapter. We kind of – not that we shrug it off, but I mean Stannis confides in Davos when they're speaking as well that you know these these things are happening to him. Well, it's not until the end of the chapter that we, we kind of get almost the most shocking reveal that I think this book has ever had. And that is why I like Davos chapters. Can I just say that you know this sort of stuff – we have these two men who clearly care for each other. We've talked about this before. Stannis needs Davos's input and asks, you know, what would you do about Storm's End, etc., and listens while Davos tells him that. And it's just these two characters are two parts of a whole here. They just they complement each other so well. Not not to dwell too much here on the the end of the chapter because clearly we'll get there. But I just thought of something when you were talking about this, Eric. We we know now that Sir Courtney Penrose is in a lot of trouble. And we know that <laughs> yes. Renly met a similar fate. My question is, going to King's Landing, why didn't we try this a third time? Hmm. Well... Why go through the whole Battle of Blackwater Bay if all you need to do is to pop out a Shadow Baby and have it kill... Joffrey or Cersei or whomever. It is it has something to do with the shadows true nature. Um which okay, let's just come out and say it, right? The shadow uh is birthed. <laughs> 
the shadow is birthed, and it, the very last words of the chapter are that um, the shadow had a a form that uh, that Davos could not only see clearly but knew clearly. Um, and clearly, this is Stannis's own shadow or his soul that is manifest, and his will is being uh, channeled through this creature. Yeah, um, it is. It's it's Stannis. It's Stannis. And so, whereas, and at the beginning of the chapter, and this is this was super important. Stannis said he was in bed or you know in in his chambers alone when Renly died, and you know by the end of this chapter, you realize, well, hey, he was probably he's like astral projecting or something like this. This figure um, through, of course, I'm thinking about Charmed now. Um, you know what I think crew could do it. One of the sisters could do it, but ultimately he's causing these events to have, he's having an out of body experience and, and Melisandre is this vessel for it. Um, but to answer your question, Micah, like, I think that the, the King's Landing, uh, is too, the battle's too personal or Stannis needs to be there awake. He can't be, you know, indisposed. Oh, I see. That's interesting. I mean, it could have something to do with the magic wards against shadowness, against shadowry. But I seriously doubt it. I mean, they found a way around it here at Storm's End. Well, that was the coolest thing is yeah, that there's these walls around Storm's End that Melisandre can't penetrate, you know. It's warded with ancient spells that no shadow can pass. Gandalf casted those. <laughs> you spells. shall not pass. This wards off spells. Davos <laughs> was put to the perfect use. Like, he had to get her in undetected, and of course they're just at against some gates, you know, for the shadow. But it's just so interesting. And she said, like, she tells Davos on the boat ride over, pretty much when they're really close, that, you know, the men behind these walls have probably forgotten all about this ancient magic. But it still holds. Yeah. Like, there's still – they can't – she just can't do this without Davos. Davos is magic. Is that what you're saying? Davos Magical has his onions. own – Davos has his own. You know, he magic needed. Care. She needed those smuggling skills, you know. Yeah, she needed them. But it it made me think back a little bit to the uh, another Catalan chapter with Renly when they're talking about Storm's End and how it came to be, and you wonder then who really were the ones who built this and what kind of magic is here. It's clearly something that she can detect. So. We know now that there's all these different forms of magic that exist in this world. Yeah, I mean, so it's a whole host of them. And, you know, talking more about uh, shadows, because she does have a little dialogue with Davos about this. She calls shadows uh, servants of the light, because the stronger the light, the, the clearer the shadow. And I've just never thought of it like that before. Um, well, she's smarter than you. She is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I give. Um, oh, who was it that that just revealed? Uh, Scarlett Johansson uh, recently revealed in the news um, what her SAT score was, and I scored higher. Um, but, 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 but how much is she making? But, yeah, well, Scarlett is far more beautiful than I. Could I would agree with that. Well, uh, but, listen, far more is a stretch. Okay, you, you, you can keep up with Scarlett Joe. Okay. Scar Joe. Maybe if I had longer blonde hair, although I did once and I didn't take good care of it. <laughs> Long hair is very difficult to maintain. I'm sure Melisandre hair does. It uh, gets caught Melis- in your fishnet. But if Melisandre were ever to take the SATs, I'm sure she would score higher than me. You're right, Mike. What, that your hair got caught in your fishnet? No, that she's... <laughs> <laughs> 
know that, that Melisandre is smart. Look, she's smart. I mean, she has risen from a shy, which by the way, it was mentioned that that's where she comes from because some of Stannis' men want her to be sent back to a shy. Um, you know, red god and all. Please, oh, please you. let me fight for the stag again, uh, <laughs> said a certain gentleman to Stannis. I wish I remembered his name or had written it down. Um, but ultimately, Melisandre's in this great position now where she's – he Stannis has basically made a horcrux, uh, except it's going off killing people. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah, no, it's true. But, I mean, again, we could just look at it with a devil on the shoulder, devil's advocate here. She could just be – Preaching a load of bollocks and just saying like, oh, this, this walls ward off spells. So I'm going to need to come down here. Like clearly, unless Davos has been eating some very, very old and fermented mushrooms. On, I mean, onions. onions on yeah, I was going to say, why wouldn't you go for the obvious? Why wouldn't you say onions? Yeah, I, I meant to say that, but then I thought of the latter. And unless he has been tripping, uh, we saw some magic. But the the whole ancient spellcaster, you know, getting a hold of the castle and protecting it, that could be a load of crap, essentially. It could be. So we, it's hard to give her too much credit, but then again, you go back to saying, okay, well, George took the time to to write about it in the book. Like he took the time to mention Stannis's strange dreams early on in the chapter, and we know by now that that is not something to overlook. Like it has weight, which gives a lot of uh, clout to what it, Eric was it, saying. It's not earlier. a dream, though. I, well, I guess it depends how you categorize it, right? It, it, it is a dream in the sense that Stannis. I wonder if it's more of a memory that he just keeps recalling because you'd have to think that if these shadows are replications of him and, or part of him in a way, you know, Eric, you mentioned Horcruxes earlier, he'd have to almost have an attachment to it. And, and perhaps, you know, he's not dreaming, but he's in fact recalling what he did to his brother. You know, they talk about the green pavilion and seeing Renly die. Will he have similar dreams in the future of what should befall Sir Courtney Penrose at Storm's End. Maybe. I'm sure. I mean, the the real kicker here, though, is that, you know, the men uh, in Stannis's guard who have been, you know, guessing that uh, Stannis is inside Melisandre every night, they had no idea how right they were. I mean, this is what we saw in the TV show, people, that yes. maybe aren't quite following along in the book. This is obviously a, a great mechanic where they melded two purposes. You know, they created... The scene that takes place now, they pushed it toward what's happening with Rinley, which is obviously a more important death, which was very brilliantly done because that is what happens in this chapter. Her and Davos have their moment. Uh, the birth happens underneath Storm's End and the shadow comes out. I wondered a couple of things, though, about Stannis in this chapter. The first was with Sir Courtney uh, when he chooses not to fight him. And the second is when he chooses not to go to King's Landing right away and instead try and sack and take Storm's End because he feels as if it won't look good if he just bypasses this, which he could easily do, and go on to King's Landing, which we learned in the previous chapter is highly susceptible at this point to an attack by Stannis. Is he just exhausted? I mean, how much has this magic taken out of him where he wouldn't be able to go one-on-one -on -one with somebody like Sir Courtney Penrose. And I don't even know how good Penrose is as far as fighting goes. Look, it's possible that it is, you know, the fact that this magic has just taken the energy out of him, that he's not, 
able to defend himself or willing, able to be willing to defend himself as much as he would before. He hides it well. He tells Courtney, um, <laughs> what? I'm going to, you know, risk going one on one with you. I, I clearly outnumber you. You'll die eventually. Why would I even risk it? Right. Well, he, he shrugs it off very well. He's like, oh, you're surrounded by sea and land. Like, why would I do that? Just go back inside after you throw your glove at my face, please. You know, when he completely ignores what Davos says and he – Davos is like, look, just ignore these guys. Like, you'll get this castle. It will come to you when all of the others do. You know, if you just lay siege to King's Landing, ignore this for now, just go take it. And that turns out, you know, to be the best advice uh, really ever because also in this chapter we found out that uh, Loras Tyrell did make it to Bitterbridge, uh, presumably anyway, um, prior or before Parman Crane could get there on behalf of Stannis. And uh, presumably now, like, Loras has uh, a following or a, a big, you know, a, a lot of a lot of men now. And so... I mean, we know that what ends up happening is the Lannisters uh, make an alliance with the Tyrells, and and they just wouldn't have the time to do everything that they do and show up at King's Landing if Stannis were to leave now, per Davos's advice. Like we we can kind of look back and say if Stannis had left now, there's a much greater chance that those alliances wouldn't have been formed in time and King's Landing would have fallen. There, there's also another reason, too, that he's so highly invested in Storm's End, and that's you know, Edric Storm, who is another mm-hmm. bastard of, of Robert, who is mentioned in that Catalan chapter as well. And really what we're seeing here is in the TV show, this all plays out with Gendry, uh, which just works better for television. But this is a bastard that is the blood of Robert, who's of Stannis's blood as well. And Melisandre wants him for one reason or another. We don't know what that is yet, but Stannis knows that he must get this boy away from Penrose and Storm's End and have him, you know, within his own contingent. Seeing this from Stannis' side, though, what happens at the end of the chapter and what the shadow ends up doing, you know, it worked for them before. A nice, clean (laughs) victory. One person died. I mean, you know, he's asking Davos for his advice and it's sound, you know, what what he's telling Stannis technically should work. But, you know, to Davos' knowledge yet, Stannis doesn't have a weapon like this. So we see it as shitty and we see it as damn. But, I mean, it gets the job done, right? It ain't broke. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, look, you just mentioned this, like, there's one man dead, like, they saved a lot of lives, actually, um, in using the shadow. It's so hard to think poorly of Stannis, the more and more you go further in these books, and it, it just makes me think of all of our commenters on Winter's Coming that are such Stannis supporters. And, you know, we read early in this chapter that much of what he is seeking is vengeance for people like John Aaron, for people like Ned Stark, for people mm-hmm. like his brother, like, these people are all mentioned, and it's just like... You know, Stannis, if it wasn't for this crazy chick that has obviously driven you mad in some way, like, you would be the coolest dude out there. Like, I would imagine you and Rob in some shape or form getting along and crushing the Lannisters. And, you know, it's just, you know, he is the second brother after all. Yeah. Well, if it weren't for Melisandre, though, I do want to touch on this. It would be Selyse. Not only that his fate could, couldn't be any different, because obviously it is what George writes it, mm-hmm. but I, I think he, he, you know, him and the, the red god thing are just, they were made for each other. <laughs> <laughs> he's got, he's, this is who he is. You know, Stannis is the guy who 
um, is open to seeking the aid of a supernatural uh, power to further his cause because ultimately he's just not never been a, a friendly guy who is able to forge real world alliances with real people. It's um, I mean I don't want to make the connection between this and like online you know guild building or whatever, but ultimately <laughs> you, you can have a crew of people. You know, a guild of warriors, you know, all with high hit points and all the magic and all yeah. the gold in the kingdom. But ultimately, like, it's it, – it, people would say it's not real. Um, do you think he subscribes to the religion though or do you think there's some sort of magic at play here on the part of Melisandre? Because I, I, I to tie it back to the beginning of the episode when you brought up the fact that Stannis confesses that he did in fact love his brother – that's so much more of a human element to Stannis than we've seen really at all in this book so far. While I agree with that, I think that now that we know the true nature of what's, what exactly is going on with Stannis and the Red God here, I don't think he just muttered some words. I no longer feel that Stannis can afford to be just half-assedly in a religion. If, if he is becoming this shadow or if he is orchestrating uh, this shadow thing, he actually had to at some point have sold his soul or made a serious actual sacrifice, like actual as in contract with the devil can't take it back sort of uh, commitment to the red god. So I see him as more villainous really than ever because you can't just half-ass and have your spirit go somewhere else. Like he actually has to be part of this religion now. There is like not only no going back, but in order to make the things happen that he's making happen – he would have had to put himself into the religion more than we realize outwardly realize. I see your point. But on the other hand, I just feel like the kind of guy Stannis is, and he, like you were saying, he's open to getting the help from the supernatural um, entity. I think that he just doesn't give a shit about any of it. You know, yeah. I just think that he's just like, listen, I want to win. I want to do what I can to win. This seems like a way to win. Uh, cool flame and sword. Hell, it could be worse. Uh, we'll see what happens. I, I don't think until he sees his defeat at, at King's Landing will he honestly be like, okay, fine, all or nothing, all in. I mean, we got to see the moment in the TV show, so I feel like maybe something like that will be manifested in the book, maybe not, where he is basically like he has his hands around her neck and he's like, I'm going to kill you because, you know, what's your God going to do now? And she's like, but look in the fire, dude. And then he sees it and he's like, oh, shit. So maybe in my mind, I feel like he needs some more convincing because – he thinks it's just a dream. He doesn't really know that the shadow and the things that he saw in this vision were actually what it did. Like, it actually did creep up on the Green Pavilion and take care of business, you know? Mm. Yeah, I see that. So he's still – maybe he's not aware of what he's doing, but somehow he's doing it. And I, I just mm. – it could be Melisandre, but she's she's not just play acting. Well, this shadow creature, uh, obviously, it, it needless to say, it terrifies me. Um, <laughs> and I have to give my own this week to an image – that I actually found in the Clash of Kings chapter summary on a wiki of ice and fire. Um, <laughs> it is a photograph of the shadow baby being born. Um, and it is art by Anja, a woman by Anja. We should uh, share this in the show notes because it is the uh, awesome, like, you guys got to see this image. I will share this with you. Right I'm looking now. at it right now. You've seen it? Okay. This image, there's just no comparison it's <laughs> oh sweet mother of that should be God. your halloween costume that's what i'm going as <laughs> that's true 
I've already chosen it. I'm going to go as that painting. With with that, I leave you, gentlemen. All right. Well, Eric, you have a, a great weekend, sir. Uh, listeners, if you're all listening, uh, that's what you do as listeners. Say bye to Eric. Bye, say everybody. Scroll on our wall. <laughs> <laughs> and just so everybody knows, as uh, Eric departed, uh, he was nice enough to um, hang up, which canceled our entire call. Uh, just so the listeners are aware, yeah, he, he hung up on us. He did hang up on us. So now we get to say anything we want. Eric had to leave early. I'm pretty sure I had like some kind of like finger painting gala to attend and stuff. This uh this episode we're recording kind of late because that's pumpkin how it goes. carving, right? That, that's yeah. this time of year. Let's keep it seasonal, festive, pumpkin carving. Now I'm trying to find a way to to make that cohesively return to our conversation. The only thing I can think of is how spooky a jack o' lantern and that picture is that he just showed us. Yeah. If you're a child and you're scared of I pumpkin agree. faces. That would make a pretty ill pumpkin face, to be honest with but you. That's pretty much it in this chapter. You know, aside from the the heavy amounts of verbal sparring at the beginning and it kind of reminded me a lot of the Catlin Renly Stannis meeting, except it wasn't right outside of this place for the same purpose, you know, like Davos is with these people and we all know where he came from. Now that he's surrounded with the people from the Rainbow Guard and other lords that have given up their allegiances to Renly and like, oh, gosh, well, we definitely serve the Lord of Light now. He sounds like the one true God, so we might as well take up his place. Right. We might as well join you. Like, he's surrounded by these people that are so well-dressed and garbed. And I really like the fact that Stannis was almost cleanly, mutely simple in the same kind of dress. Like, he wasn't just decorated and ridiculous, like... He fit in with Davos a lot, and even though they're unlikely friends, it's very clear that these two have a connection, and that's why he's relied on so much by Stannis. Yeah. It it almost just reminded me of swords because we were talking about them a little bit in the last chapter, where really they go to the highest bidder. Well, these families are just going to whoever is winning, and whoever they think has the best advantage for the time being. And who knows, that could change one chapter from now, five chapters from now, 50 chapters from now. Uh, but one of the reasons why I liked Davos so much was because he even notes somebody like Sir Penrose, right, who is remaining in his loyalty to Renly. And he says, basically, look, Penrose, he's keeping the faith, not the Billy Joel song, but close. <laughs> and it's more than you can say for all of these others who have just you know, come over to your side and, and you don't really know that you can trust them. It's true. And I mean, he does a good job of having internal monologue throughout this entire chapter with just his thoughts on these people. And I think it's a great mechanic that George has chosen to implement with Davos and with Renly and with Stannis, showing us even further than he's shown us in the first book already that these shifts of power in this Game of Thrones and in this Clash of Kings um, are so subtle, but they make such a huge difference. And Tyrion really understands it. And I feel like all of these great people really understand it. But when you see it happen, it's just one of the most disrespectful, ridiculous things that you can imagine because Stannis doesn't like these people. Like, who do they, what do they hope to get out of this? Like, they're just literally saving their own necks and there's no honor associated with it at all. But, you know, people who play the game seem to live longer than people who don't. Yeah, that's exactly it. And we're going to continue to see this throughout the series. It, it's It's constantly a power shift. And who's playing the game better? And naturally, I feel like it's just 
one of those things where you're going to gravitate towards the group that you feel has the best chance of winning. And unfortunately for some, it may not be those people that they weren't you know, originally aligned with for whatever reason, because of geographic location or because their families grew up together or they were really tight. And, but now you're getting into a war situation where it's all about survival and things like that just go out the window and you know you you move towards those who you think have the best chance at winning as we draw near to the end of our discussion of this chapter which was very cool because we got to see the return of and i'll say it i know some of you guys have been waiting to hear it the return of the shadow veg uh, as we got to have this moment unfurl in front of us i figured why not read it here on the show so this is the last paragraph or i guess technically if you want to say the last two considering the last sentence is so bold and on its own directly from the chapter it says panting she squatted and spread her legs. Blood ran down her thighs, black as ink. Her cry might have been agony or ecstasy or both. No commas. I like that. Good cadence. And Davos saw the crown of the child's head push its way out of her. Two arms wriggled free, grasping, black fingers coiling around Melisandre's straining thighs. Pushing. Is this gross yet? <laughs> I already threw up three times. <laughs> of the shadow slid into the world and rose taller than Davos tall as the tunnel, towering above the boat. He had only an instant to look at it before it was gone, twisting beneath the bars of the portcullis and racing across the surface of the water. But that instant was long enough. He knew that shadow as he knew the man who'd cast it. Dun, mm. dun, dun. What better way to transition directly into Owens, which it'd be easy to give an own to that, but I think I'm going to... Oh, I was going to say, you could, you, could, you could have just done that. <laughs> Mine, I'm going to give it to uh, Sir Courtney Penrose because I think the fact that he did stay loyal, he didn't waver, and you know, he challenged Stannis straight out, and even though he got refused, he still stood his ground. And he has that one quote where he says, bring on your storm and recall. If you do the name of this castle i mean i didn't expect that that was some bold movements there in the beginning of the chapter at one point he literally took off his glove and threw it at stannis's face now think about stannis for a second he hit stannis in the face with his glove in front of all of these people and stannis didn't do anything so i mean the fact that he survived even a little bit after that is an own in itself i think that's very true all right well my own will go to the lannister marketing department for somehow getting this crazy story even into a chapter where it's mentioned even around stannis the king might i add the king in, in his own right in his own regard here as they as they call him it's customary to grant a king the style your grace lord florent and his uh and his uh, softness this chapter but successfully the stories about Patchface and shireen the fact that these stories that possibly shireen is a child of a fool and of their new queen the fact that that was even mentioned and it made its way here when of course we were reading it we were like oh that's crazy like i understand that joffrey and the other kids were probably uh, ancestral birth between Jamie and Cersei, but in no way is this going to work. Another ra random story, you know, something that holds so much weight that's very real on the other side of the table. You know, the fact that this was even introduced and thought about, they won, they knew the people, like they know them a lot better than we do, obviously, because it worked. Yep. I like that as well. A lot of good owns. Um, Eric gave his, of course, a little while ago before he hung up on myself and Zach. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, we did have a couple of owns uh, that were sent in for this chapter in particular on Twitter, which is twitter.com slash game of owns. And 
The first one comes from Susan Stacy, who actually did a great job noting the chapter. She says, Clash of Kings, chapter 42, Davos. <laughs> so uh, thanks there, Susan. She says, Melisandre gives us one of the biggest owns of A Song of Ice and Fire by birthing a shadow assassin with Davos as witness. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised Eric didn't get a little bit more excited and start dancing because magic was mentioned. But at this point, I guess it's just kind of getting dull because someone climbed a ladder of fire a few chapters ago. Well, so, I, yeah. I tried to <laughs> tie it in there because there was a, a few chapters ago when we were reading Catalan, they talk about who built this this tower, right? And how it goes all the way back to the time of the gods. And I thought because there was later mention of the children of the forest, potentially that Eric was going to, you know, just burst into ah, pieces right then and yeah. there. Just explode of excitement. Just piss he himself. Did not, <laughs> uh, he did not take the opportunity. Uh, so sorry, Eric, better luck next time. Better luck next time, Eric. Susan also says that since she lives in Tampa, Florida, she will be at LeakyCon. So That's awesome. cool. that'll be fun. We look forward yeah. to meeting you, Susan. We do. I wanted to read a tweet here that's uh, very recently tweeted uh, today. It's from a Miss Ida Azkoff, who needs a little help. She says, Game of Owns, own me by distracting my thoughts so much that I fell down a set of stairs. Oh, shit. <laughs> We're not insured for that, by the way. <laughs> no broken bones, though. Oh, that's Just good. a shit ton of bruises. Ida, I like the way you worded that, and I like that you're okay. Yeah, sorry, um... Maybe we got to go buy some insurance for this show. Yeah, I know. We need to take out a policy on our yeah. vocal cords here. And next week will be today's show is brought to you by Aflac. <laughs> oh, don't bring a duck into this. That would be. No, we don't need any more animals on this show. We yeah. have enough. Here's another tweet from Johannes Meyer. He says, at Game of Owns, I heard the dung that was flung was imported all the way from a shy or ass high, which would I guess it would make more sense in this tweet. <laughs> yeah, probably would. Is that yeah. dragon dung? What what kind of is dung that is that? Dragon dung or are you just happy to see us? <laughs> One more tweet here from Catherine Kelly about uh, the chapter we just read. She says my own goes to Oh man, I can't really scream. But she goes Do you want to do it, Zach? <laughs> do I want to scream? Yeah. Uh I mean, okay, fine, I'll scream. I'm stepping back. Ah! Shadow badge. There, there you go. go. You hashtag the ew. <laughs> hashtag it's dark. Hashtag and filled with terrors. Uh-huh. So thank you, Catherine. Gordy Walls tweeted in to say, my own goes to George R. R. Martin for giving every character an own before he brutally murders them without a second thought. That's so true. He got an epic own this chapter. And, of course, Gordy is referring to one Sir Courtney Penrose. And uh, we did get a couple of other owns in here from our chapter earlier on in the week. Andy Robillard tweeted in, Owen should go to the woman with dead child who uttered the infamous phrase, quote, Brother F. Andy, it's Twitter. I mean... It's a hard F, though. It is a hard F. Brother fucker is what he's trying to say. I just love saying it, so... <laughs> it, it does... It just rolls off out. really, yeah, really well. it rolls right off the top. And it's funnier than motherfucker, to be honest with you. <laughs> it really is. Um, but Andy it might really be is. a very proper person, so... He is, I'm that, sure. That's, that's fine, the way that you put it there on Twitter. Um, hunger caused the riot, or no bread chant. So uh, thank you, Andy, for sending that in. Appreciate that, Andy. Two of the people we mentioned earlier on with their tweets for this chapter also had tweets for 
the chapter that we did on Wednesday, which was Tyrion. Susan Stacy said, The residents of King's Landing own the royal family as they riot while the royals are trying to reach the castle. That is very true. And Catherine riot. Kelly says, Sorry, Eric, but my own has to go to Tyrion for his perfect imp slap. Hashtag imp slap. <laughs> hashtag shut up, Joffrey. That's Jeffrey. Shut up, Jeffrey. <laughs> it is Jeffrey, but I think she meant Joffrey. Yeah, but it's um, funnier as Jeffrey. Good job, Cat Kelly. And finally, two more tweets. It's it's. There's a lot of great tweets here. There's so one, many tweets. One from uh, Miss Lane at the left underscore Lane on Twitter, who <laughs> got me a little bit here, uh, says Danny Poon. This was, of course, uh, going back to our first episode of the week. Classy. Yeah. Classy. Sorry, I just I just have moments. I'm, I apologize. Moments happen. Yas. Yas, Rex Yas, Rex underscore Yas says, Yas. discovered your podcast a few days ago. I'm so addicted now. Well, that's awesome. And moderations. And stay away from stairwells, all of them, while you're listening. And finally, Lay de Guzman says, catching up with Game of Owens podcast. And I'm loving all the Zelda references, especially that I'm trying to finish Ocarina of Time right now. Oh, man. Don't even try Master Quest. It is terrible. Terribly awesome, I mean. <laughs> I actually, <laughs> not too long ago, just finished it up, um, probably about a month or so ago. Um, not Master Quest, though. Uh, just the regular quest. And I was I was impressed more so with how much I could actually remember. Of like how to progress throughout. Yeah, did you get the the big the big Goron sword? Because I love. Yeah, that I did. I did. It's awesome. True story. Earlier today, I listened to nothing but ocarina music. It's true. I really did. And celebration of it. Not that that has anything to do with what I'm about to do, which is read an email. But I just want to remind you guys. Uh, we have a Monday episode coming up, and it's kind of I don't want to say raw form. Because that really doesn't make any sense, but it's like, oh, you're on an episode right now. Don't get us like already excited for for the next one. Like, let's let's live in the now and, and take advantage of what we have. But there are more tweets, um, there are more emails, there are more comments that we're trying to fit into all these blocks and minutes, so you guys don't have to download something crazy, crazy, extensively long. But um, we're gonna be collecting them over the weekend and promising that song and dance that was supposed to be tonight. Eric had to leave early, otherwise we would have made him do it. Um, that will happen on Monday, along with some other musical inclusions. We thought it'd be a funny idea, so we're going to do it. But I want to read awesome. you guys this email. This email is from Beth from Colorado. She says, Hi, folks. I guess my own for this chapter has to go to the 99% Thank You Occupy Westeros, a Twitter account. She says, For showing Joffrey in no uncertain terms that yelling, I am the king, will never save your reign if not enough people recognize you as their legitimate ruler. Also, to George R. R. Martin for the sharp political observations. Note how, when bad times befall the city, the people blame the person they think is in charge, Tyrion. Even though he might be the only person keeping the suffering from getting worse, his being different from the regular Westerosi makes him a particular target of resentment. Gee, wonder if we've ever seen that sort of thing happen ourselves, Beth from Colorado. Yeah, really yeah. like that uh, email there from Beth. She's emailed it a couple times, hasn't she? She always has yeah, great she things has. to say. That's true. So if you would like to be just like Beth, and let's face it, why wouldn't you? Uh, you can, of course, reach us by email at contact at gameofowns.com. You can also tweet at us. We read a bunch of your tweets earlier. We will read more of them on Monday's episode, as Zach said. You can also head on over to Facebook at facebook.com backslash gameofowns and scroll on our wall. I like that. Whoever came up with that. Was that Eric? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Oh, damn. We'll say it was you. <laughs> Zach, it was a great idea. Oh, thank you, sir. Oh, no uh, problem. Uh, inspired. Uh, and... 
one other way that uh, you can leave us feedback is on iTunes, which is most likely where you downloaded this podcast. We accept five-star reviews and nothing less. It is still the month of October, so that holds true. You can give us some feedback just like Meredith of the Black did. She left a review a couple days ago, mm. and she says... You may have caused a divorce. Yo, so, <laughs> so, wait, we're causing people to fall down the stairs and breaking up marriages. Uh, so I did not see that coming. <laughs> this is starting to become a bit of a problem. But anyway, oh, she awesome. goes on to say, I discovered Game of Thrones a few months ago and watched every episode. So imagine my horror when I ran out of episodes to watch. I bought the books and scoured the interwebs for all things Game of Thrones. That's how I found you guys. In two months, I've listened to every podcast you have done, and now I'm all caught up. I love your detailed discussions on the story along with your wit and humor. My husband heard me listening to your show and said, quote, Are you listening to a Game of Thrones podcast? You're such a geek. <laughs> yes, I am a geek, and I'm so happy to have found fellow geeks to share Game of Thrones with. Even Eric and his inexplicable Theon Love make me happy. I don't know if that was supposed to be hyphenated. It's the on love. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Anyway, uh, I have taken the black husband, and now my watch begins. So off with you, or I'll feed your manhood to the goats. <laughs> Meredith gets the own. Right? Girl power. Yeah. So uh, thank you very much, uh, Meredith, for that own. And uh, hopefully your marriage is uh, thriving. And uh, have your husband listen along. Yeah, shout out to, your, to Meredith's husband, you know, for being so cool to listen to all these sexy voices on the internet That's right. all the time. Speaking of that, uh, we do have one <laughs> other review here from SilverSpark86, who used the title, The Iron Throne of Podcasts. Oh, no, that's bold. Uh, if you are a Game of Thrones fan, book or TV series, you would be crazy to pass up this amazing podcast. Just crazy. <laughs> the show has great hosts who entertain us each week, no matter what the discussion topic. I look forward to new episodes every week, and I'm excited that with at least two more books and hopefully at least four or five more seasons of Game of Thrones, we will be able to explore and dissect all our favorite storylines for many more years. Just remember, winter is coming. And that's true, because it was pretty fucking cold out today. She also says, P.S. Micah, it's pretty outstanding when you look on iTunes and see the overwhelming number of five-star reviews for Game of Thrones. You are quite the persuasive individual. Maybe if you were the hand of the king, people would take things more seriously. Great job. That's a good idea. That's a great idea. Except I don't like the track records for hand of the kings. All right. Well, we're here to change it. And we're going to change it? All right. You know well, what they say? The king shits, the hand wipes, right, Micah? Yeah. No, I'm not into that. <laughs> so uh, thank you to uh, Silver Spark. Eighty-six. Yeah, I gotta have that plural. Pluralize that shit. Mm -hmm. So, just like Silver Sparks eighty-six and Meredith did, uh, you can leave us a review. We really appreciate your feedback. We know we bring this up um, pretty much on every show, but uh, it is a great way for people to learn about the show. You heard about Meredith just say that uh, you know she caught on to Game of Thrones a couple months ago and found the podcast recently. So. It's it's really helpful for fans out there. You know, we're fans just like you guys, and uh, you know, it's a great way for all of us to be able to connect with one another. And speaking of connecting with one another, there's a great opportunity to do that this summer in Orlando, Florida. Isn't that right, Zach? It's true. It's going to be like the first time we've ever, as a show, uh, come together and 
done something. And we can't speak on much of it yet, but it's going to be a fun time. So if you're in the area or if you just want to crash the party, like we welcome you all to come and carry all of the stout beers that you have. All of them, including yeah. all of the, the anything brown. Just bring it with you. Just just go ahead and pack animal it up. Get down to Florida. That's right. So we will, of course, uh, be at LeakyCon 2014 uh, from July 30th to August 3rd. Uh, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. And I will try and uh, hit up as many Amagong, or I should say stores that sell Amagong <laughs> bre- brewery, brewed beer, <laughs> and uh, pack it in a suitcase and, and bring it on down to Florida um, so we can have some Take the Black Stout. As you all know, Halloween approacheth, and this is pretty much the best season ever for Game of Thrones fans to get out there and rep in the real world. And by rep, I mean don't listen to the podcast in your closet. I'm saying dress up like a crazy, crazy person from the show. Everyone should be Tyrion. Danny, the list goes on. Send us your photographs because it's something we look forward to seeing because it's funny. And we look forward to sharing to everyone because it's funny. How does that sound to you, Micah? Sounds great. I'm really looking forward. I I think we're going to see it this year. And it's kind of gross, so I don't necessarily know if we want to see it. But I could see somebody dressing up as Rob with Grey Wind's head. Oh, no. That would be a sick costume if they did it. Wow, that's a great idea. Isn't it? I don't really know anything else to say other than my name. Drop it like it's hot. Okay, well, (laughs) in lieu of a potato, I'm going to drop this. I'm Zach Louie. And I'm Micah Tannenbaum. Perhaps next week, I think it's time, because clearly he's been on some sort of vacation. Sam needs to come back and join the show. Okay, well, I mean, if you're if you're putting putting it out there that it could possibly happen, I think I think we can make room. And you might need a lot of room, but. <laughs>